Hello, you're listening to On Israel in Al Monitor. I'm Ben Kaspit from Tel Aviv. As we all know, all honeymoons must come to an end. And that also goes for the honeymoon between Israel's new government and the administration in Washington. The disagreements and glitches that have surfaced in recent weeks were to be expected. The question is, where the couple, Naftali Bennett and Joe Biden, go next? Will the relationship keep deteriorating with a warm embrace replaced by sore hostility and frustration? Or will they manage to make things work with or without couples therapy and exchange the honeymoon bliss for a realistic existence with occasional ups and downs and each side recognizing the flaws of uh, the other? This is a moment of uh, truth for the Bennett-Lapid government, and its uh, timing is unfortunate. It comes just as the government is struggling to push the budget through the Knesset this week, while Benjamin Netanyahu tries desperately to attempt just one coalition member to vote against the budget and bring down the government. Bennett and Lapid are doing all they can to signal confidence that no one will jump ship and that the multi-party coalition is solid. The public uh, disagreements with Israel's closest ally began uh, with what has become a chronic headache, American insistence on reopening the Jerusalem consulate to serve the city's Palestinian residents. Then came the decision by Defense Minister Gantz to designate six Palestinian organizations as terrorist groups, and this was followed by the approval of thousands of new housing units for Jewish settlements in the West Bank. The Americans didn't even try to hide their anger. Secretary of State Blinken gave Gantz an almost public dressing down over the phone. The State Department issued a statement of condemnation. Officials in Washington briefed reporters to signal their frustration with the Israelis who keep pushing the limits of the understandings reached between the sides. Today's guest is a veteran experienced peace activist. He is an expert on the Israeli-Palestinian peace process and on U.S.-Israel relations, a former diplomat who represented Israel in the U.S., served as a special advisor to Yossi Balin during the Oslo Accords period, and was Prime Minister's Eud Barak media advisor. Gadi Baltiansky is the Director General of the Geneva Initiative, a 2003 alternative peace plan promoted by leading Israeli and Palestinian figures in an attempt to steer the sides in the right direction. Baltiansky also heads Education for Peace, which is yet another of his effort to promote peace with the Palestinians. He joins us right after this short break. Hi, I'm Elizabeth Hagedorn, and I'm the State Department correspondent at El Monitor. And I'm Joe Snell, I'm El Monitor's video editor. Let's admit it, this past year has been difficult to stay on top of the news and sit through what's accurate and what's misleading. Let Al Monitor help you. If you care about the Middle East and North Africa, you should consider listening to Al Monitor's audio series on the Middle East with Andrew Parasoliti and Amber and Zaman, and on Israel with Ben Caspi. You can now watch our newest video podcast, Reading the Middle East with Gilles Capel. You can subscribe to these series on your favorite podcast platforms. And through a host of free daily and weekly newsletters, we offer a range of perspectives with the highest journalistic standards. You can subscribe to these newsletters at almonitor.com. 
As an award-winning media service headquartered in Washington, D.C., Almonitor has a network of over 160 contributors around the world. So if you haven't done so already, be sure to visit almonitor.com, where you can find all of these newsletters and podcasts along with first-class reporting and analysis. Now I'm happy to uh, say hello and welcome uh, my friend and colleague, uh, Gadi Baltyansky, director of the Geneva Initiative. Hi, Shalom Gadi, how are you? Hello, Ben, how are you? Thank you. And we have uh, a lot of uh, things to talk about. First of all, I will ask you, generally speaking, how would you define the current crisis between Washington and Jerusalem? A storm in a teacup? or the tip of an iceberg that could drone the Bennett-Lapid government? Frankly, Ben, I'm not sure even that it's a crisis. I wouldn't even define it as a crisis. Uh, you know, the, there is a disagreement. Obviously, the U.S. administration doesn't see eye to eye with the Bennett, uh, the, the Palestinian issue. And there are differences, but it's obviously not a storm. Maybe, I don't know, a light rain, okay? Nobody likes to get wet. And the main concern is that they will face heavy rain later. But as of now, I think uh, things are completely under control. The, the Americans don't want a confrontation with the Israeli government and vice versa. Uh, for the US administration, they still have this kind of a sense of relief that Netanyahu is not there. And the Bennett Lapid's government is the only alternative. So as long as there are no uh, dramatic steps on the ground or any kind of uh, serious escalation, the Americans will not really engage uh, seriously and deeply with this issue. Uh, also, when they, they have in mind the, the midterm elections that are one year from now, nobody wants to take political risks before that. And when they have China, you know, Ben, I, I spoke with American officials several times I met recently with senior European officials. They all say the first priority of this American extension is China. So don't bother us with small details like uh, some Israeli steps uh, that are not exactly popular in Washington. Okay, so now let's uh, start to uh, go inside the details of the, I think there are three chapters or characters of uh, this uh, semi-crisis. And the first of all is the, the American consulate in Jerusalem that President Trump uh, shut down and President Biden promised uh, to reopen. Why is this so important to the Americans? And perhaps more to the point, why does Israel oppose it is so uh, strenuously, do you see any, sh any sort of diplomatic solution that both sides uh, could accept? Yes, I can see a solution and I will get to it in a minute. But first you, you mentioned in your question, Ben, the issue of the uh, presidential promise. President Biden indeed promised it. So it will be hard for them uh, not to do something uh, regarding it. For, for the US it is important First of all, because of a practical reason beyond the, the promise. Uh, this administration wants to have direct and close ties with the Palestinians, not only with the leadership, but also with the, with the public. And of course, the way to do it is to have some uh, uh, basis, uh, an office on the ground. Beyond that, it's, it's also a symbolic uh, step for this administration. They indeed want to erase at least part of 
uh, what seems like Trump's legacy, for sure the part that says that the entire area of Jerusalem, including East Jerusalem, including the Arab neighborhoods and refugee camps in East Jerusalem are part of Israel. So the way to do it is to, to bring back the, the consulate that, by the way, was in uh, Jerusalem for decades, and I didn't see any, I don't know, earthquake in Jerusalem because of that. Um, for, for Israel, it's also, it's mainly a symbolic issue. Um, for those who oppose Bennett, they turn it into a political dramatic uh, event. While it's not the case, but since the uh, Netanyahu supporters and some ideological uh, members of the right wing camp want to portray Bennett as a leftist, they use it as a pretext. Uh, but we all know that there are many uh, consulates in Jerusalem, by the way, even in West Jerusalem, you know, the French consulate, the Italian consulate, they're in West Jerusalem. Nobody thinks or believes that France uh, is, believes that West Jerusalem should be part of a future Palestinian state. There are many uh, consulates in East Jerusalem, the British one, many European ones. It, it, it doesn't affect Israel's position towards those countries. And more than that, there are many uh, officers, they are not called, not being called consulates, but the representative, office, representative offices in Ramallah. Uh, the Swiss uh, offices in Ramallah is not in Jerusalem. And believe me, Switzerland supports the Geneva Initiative, which calls for a two-state solution with the uh, Palestinian capital in Jerusalem. It has nothing to do with it. Even the Jordanians, uh, their, their office is in Ramallah, not in Jerusalem. So it, it's, it became much more of a bigger issue because of non-substantial uh, uh, reasons. My, my suggested solution, with, I'm not in love with it, but I think it can be a compromise that both parties can live with, is to open a representative office for the US in Ramallah. Anyway, they want to talk to the leadership, to the politicians, to the players, that most of them are based there. But this office will have a branch in Jerusalem. So the branch in Jerusalem will not be affiliated with the embassy to Israel, will not be part of the embassy to Israel, which will, uh, uh, you know, will, will uh, in a way please the Israelis. It won't be an independent office, but it will belong to the office in Ramallah, which in a way symbolizes the ties between the 300,000 Palestinians who live in Jerusalem and the rest of the Palestinian people in the West Bank. I don't think it's an ideal compromise, but I think it's a, it's a proposal that both sides can consider. But you know that the leftists and especially the, the, the supporters of Netanyahu will, will use this compromise that I, I think it's a smart one. And they will, uh, they know no one uh, knows the details and they will say, listen, it's, it's not a, an embassy or a consulate in Jerusalem. Now, now they are going to Ramallah. They will portray it as, 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 a, as a coup, as a, as a treason act, and they, they will use it politically. So maybe not doing nothing is better. But uh, doing nothing, I, I, first of all, I think you're right that doing nothing will be the case uh, for, the, for the short term. But eventually they will have to explain it. And eventually, they really need the ties with the Palestinians. They really need uh, not booths on the ground, but diplomats on the ground. Uh, so what I'm saying is that 
is a solution that Bennett will be able to say they didn't open a consulate. Don't worry, they, they are not a consulate, but their representative office is in Ramallah. But the Americans will say, we said that we will uh, um, restart our ties with the Palestinians and we have a presence in Jerusalem because we don't see the entire Jerusalem as part of Israel. In, and that's the difference between us and Trump. And in a way, this is the promise that the President Biden made before the election. Yes, and we have to accept it. Uh, let's move on and uh, talk about, uh, about Benny Gantz. A week ago, Defense Minister Gantz uh, designated six Palestinian groups as terrorist organizations, a move that uh, generated harsh international anger and domestic uh, criticism from the center-left uh, center government parties. Israel insists it, uh, it had solid intelligence about the organizations that uh, had received legal guidance on uh, this decision. The Shin Bet says uh, it has proof that the groups are a fundraising and money laundering operation for the Popular Front uh, for Liberation of Palestine, a known terrorist organization. Did Gantz really have to make this move at this timing? And if you were in uh, Bennett's place, how would you continue battling terrorism, but at the same time avoid losing international legit legitimacy? You know, we are this week commemorating uh, Itzhak Rabin, who was assassinated uh, uh, 26 years ago. Uh, his famous slogan was that we will combat terrorism as there was no political process, and we will conduct the political process as there was no terrorism. I think There's he no... said the uh, peace process. Peace process. Yes. Yes. You're right. You're right. Uh, but since Bennett is not talking about the peace process. <laughs> now it's political, <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, uh, so, but, but, and I believe it, it is, the basic of it is true. No Israeli expects or wants our prime minister not to fight terrorism. Um, this is a, a top priority for us and rightly so, our security, our anti-terrorism uh, battle. This is the real issue, by the way, not like the, the consulate, which for most of Israelis, they're indifferent and they don't really care. They care much more about the visas. We didn't touch the issue of visas, but uh, this is the real concern for Israelis. If they will uh, get rid of the need for a visa to the States, this is more important than the exact venue of a, of a consulate. But, but security is, is above all. So I expect an Israeli, as my Minister of Defense and the security establishment to fight terrorism. And if they have the evidence and the intelligence that uh, several individuals or even small organizations actually became terrorists, they should uh, deal with it, no doubt. But when you declare large, highly respected uh, organizations, very well known, and you design them as terrorist organizations, which means you know, the secretary and, the, and every employee became a terrorist. Before doing it, you really need not only strong evidence, but you need to show it, you need to prove it, otherwise, um, it, it's problematic. And, and why Israelis or Palestinians or Americans or Europeans will believe you that uh, you take such a serious, dramatic step in really to, to design a very large human rights organization as, as a bunch of terrorists, you need more than, than a statement or, or a tweet. So I, I think that it was not done in the right way, not in the smart way. Uh, and I think it's still not too late to, to correct it. And those who, 
who are involved in terrorism or in violence, they should be arrested and brought to trial, no doubt about it. But you know that, uh, first of all, this is a, a constituency of the, of the defense minister. This is exactly his uh, ability to declare an, an organization as a, as a terror one. And we, we are dealing now here in, in uh, intelligence, in secret intelligence and sources you cannot, uh, uh, you know, uh, you cannot tell about. Uh, it's not uh, it's not going to trial it's uh, collecting intelligence and by the way with the with, with the, the help and the, you know the, 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 all all the uh, low experts in the military establishment are following it so it's difficult to show the world the, the intelligence maybe i think it was wiser to send a special messenger to Washington and many to um, maybe to other uh, uh, capitals in Europe before the declaration and not after. Exactly. exactly. What they are doing now, trying to, to show the evidence or to share the information with some officials, it, it's not public, but at least you, you, you tell them before doing, declaring it and not after trying to, to make some damage control. I think, I'm sure it's, or I, I believe, I hope that everything is being done according to the, to the Israeli law. But let's remember that the Israeli law is on this issue is, is problematic for many international actors. Now, I have no doubt that this is under the authority of the Minister of Defense, but he doesn't live in a bubble. The fact that he, according to the media, they didn't brief the prime minister and the foreign minister and other players is, is a mistake. Um, and, and it's due to the lack of strategy. This government doesn't have a clear strategy what we do with the Palestinians, for sure not in Gaza, but also not in the West Bank. And, and when you don't have a real comprehensive strategy, then every minister can do whatever he thinks that is right without the consultation, the prior consultation, which I think was a mistake, even if the step is, is the right one. Uh, so actually what you're saying, uh, if sometimes it's better to be smart than right. Now let's uh, go now to the construction permits issue. Prime Minister Bennett insisted that uh, planning authorities approved uh, 3,200 housing units, although he knew the Americans would, uh, would be mad. This week, Israel is su supposed to approve 1,200 housing units for Palestinians in the West Bank in order to appease his center-left coalition partners and the Americans. Is that enough? Do you have a more effective formula for implementing uh, Bennett's policy, which he calls limiting the conflict? The, the formula is conduct talks, dialogue, and negotiations with the, with the Palestinians. A total 100% freeze of settlement activities, although I would very much personally like to see it, it's, it's really impossible. And one can understand, first of all, if there is natural growth, mainly in the settlement blocks, in the parts that, according to conventional wisdom, will remain in Israel in any future solution, take the Olmer proposal or the Geneva Initiative model or the Clinton parameters, or you know what, the security barrier, even if, if you want to refer to something that I don't want to refer, the Trump plan, so you cannot justify building in the areas that even according to Trump and Netanyahu are supposed to be part of a Palestinian state. So that's one, limited to the, to the area. 
Two, conduct uh, political negotiations at the same time. And three, don't live in the illusion that uh, limiting the conflict, shrinking the conflict, managing the conflict is a viable option for the long run. At the end of the day, we will need to try and solve the conflict. When Bennett says, and he says it because he is for sure more honest than Netanyahu, and he, when he says that he is not interested in talks with the Palestinians, he's not interested in peace talks with the Palestinians, he, he says it not because he is afraid of a failure, he says because he is afraid that they will succeed. And he's not willing the, to pay the price of this success. The, an agreement is possible, you can support it or oppose it. But the, the fact of the matter is when you say that you're not interested in talks and you just make unilateral steps on the ground, you will face criticism and eventually you will lose the confidence that people give you uh, as, as a benefit of, of the first uh, uh, time of your, of your term. So my advice to Bennett would be, uh, try to limit this natural growth to the, to the settlement blocks that are very close to the green line. And at the same time, be positive towards the possibility of talking to the Palestinians. And we'll uh, talk about Bennett in a moment because I want to ask you about him as well. But uh, talking about a few state solution and solving the, the conflict, you are a fervent advocate of the two state solution. It is, uh, is it still relevant? Do you think the future Palestinian leadership on the day after Abu Mazen will follow in his uh, footsteps and uh, continue to, to believe in the peace process as uh, we have known it? Or is the idea of one state gaining uh, traction on the Palestinian side as well? The idea of one state is indeed uh, becoming more, uh, I would say, the talk of the town among Palestinians and also the reality on the ground. But you cannot say one state solution. It's a one state problem, a conflict, bloodshed, violence, because uh, Jews, Zionists like you and me will not give up on the idea of having a sovereign state uh, for the Jewish people. And the Palestinians will not give up on their right uh, to have self-determination and, and to vote for a sovereign body that basically decides about their life. So this battle will continue in one state. Now, the, the idea of the two states, the partition of the land, yeah, is, a, is a, an old idea. Uh, and people like to think about things outside the box, new, fresh ideas, which I'm all in favor of. You can think about the relations between the two states, you can think about the road, how to get there. But the basic idea of partition of the land, two states for the two peoples, is the only viable solution. And even the Palestinians, you know, now, uh, last week, there was a poll uh, published by Dr. Khalil Shikaki, uh, who show, which showed a 10% uh, uh, increase uh, in the support among Palestinians uh, for the two-state solution. That's because it decreased a few months ago after the confrontation with Hamas in May, in Gaza, in Jerusalem. So they became more extremists. Now that there are some positive steps on the ground, some dialogue with the Americans, there's more hope and more support. Eventually, we will get there. The only question is how much time and how much blood we'll have to see till we get there. And uh, will it happen in our lifetime? Let's move to uh, politics. Uh, Israel and by politics. the way, Ben, Ben, it, yes. in, in the question if it will happen in, in Mahmoud Abbas' lifetime, because 
those who criticize him today may miss him when he is no longer with us. He is 86, year, 86 years old. And I'm not sure that his successor will have the same kind of legitimacy, even if he's not popular, but the legitimacy is one of the founding fathers yes. to make the necessary compromises that without them we will not be able to achieve. And another phenomenon is that we always miss the previous leader that we just got exactly. rid of. Uh, you are intimately familiar with Israeli politics, both from the inside and, uh, and as an uh, observer. You're there next to Rabin and Perez, Balin and Barak, Tzipi Livni and many, many others. How do you see this unprecedented Israeli government that includes both left and uh, the right, both right-wing diehards like uh, Gidon Saar and Zev Elkin, and left-wing icons like uh, Tamar Zandberg, Nitzan Horowitz and Merav Michaeli. Do you think Naftali Bennett, who prides himself on being a right-wing ideologue, is capable of breaking sharply to the middle in uh, the search for a new political base? My answer is yes. I, I think this unique, strange creature of, of this, in, in this government has the potential uh, to really do some good things if they will have enough time and enough courage to do them. You know, you mentioned some people from the center or center left that I had the privilege to work with. But let's uh, remind our listeners about the leaders that came from the right. Um, the first one was Begin. But if I will not go now, not elaborate on the entire list, but we, all, we are not young enough to remember uh, Begin, who withdrew from the entire Sinai Peninsula and evacuated settlers, and Shamil, who went to Madrid and started the negotiations with the Palestinians. And of course, Sharon, who evacuated every Jew from, from the Gaza Strip. And even Netanyahu, who eventually agreed or supported the plan that includes a Palestinian state on 84% of, of, the, of the territories. So Bennett may be an exception. I'm not saying that he, for sure he will follow the steps of his predecessors, but, but I think we should give him this chance. We, we should not give up on him. And, and, and say to ourselves, well, he, he comes from the right, so he will stay there. You mentioned Ben, and rightly so, the, the, his need for a, for a basis, for, for, a, for a base, a political base. His traditional supporters are disappointed and, and most probably will not support him in the future. He needs to go to the center. He can do it. He, he doesn't have to be anymore in hostage of the extremists, of the lunatics. With this strange coalition, I'm not saying that he can uh, arrive tomorrow to the desired destination of a permanent status agreement, but he can bring us closer to it. He has the potential with his partners, with some compromises, and I believe that the international community and the Jewish communities abroad and all the relevant players should not say in advance, well, he, he is coming from the right, there's nothing uh, we can do with him. On the contrary, look at the presidents, look, look at history and learn that uh, there is a big potential there that Bennett will surprise us all and will do what is needed for the interest of Israel, which will also serve his political interest. I am a little more skeptic, but uh, I, I will let you hope. And a final word, I will not let you go without asking about Ram Party leader Mansour Abbas. Many uh, regard the first ever participation of an Arab party in the government and not just 
any party, an Islamist party, as an irreversible, dramatic watershed for Israel and perhaps as this government's greatest achievement that will echo for generations to come. Do you agree or do you think it was a, a one of an accident of uh, circumstances that will fail to leave its mark? Well, I think if it's a, a one-time, as we call it, accident, I think it will be a surprise. Um, but, you know, you mentioned before uh, the fact that sometimes often we miss leaders that are not with us anymore. Um, so we wish uh, Netanyahu, of course, to live uh, healthy until 120, but he's no more a prime minister. Now, I don't miss him, and I suspect that you also don't miss him too much, but I want to give him this credit. Netanyahu is the one who legitimized the participation of an Arab party, of an Islamist party in the government. And I don't want to take uh, the credit from him. He did something that may be historical, very significant. We will see now the budget, if the budget, budget passes. Uh, I think uh, many um, Arab citizens of Israel will feel the, the impact of this participation in the government. There's anyway more and more integration of the Arab population within Israel. We just saw it in the COVID crisis with all the uh, Arab doctors and nurses and, and people in the medical system. So I think there is a big potential here if uh, Abbas and his party will indeed uh, bring positive outcomes and results to, to the population, to their constituency, which should be the case. I think we will remember this step as the beginning of a new era in Israeli politics uh, in which many more Palestinians will vote, will be engaged in, in the parliament and in the government. And this also may, uh, it, it's good for itself, for our democratic values, but it also can be another reason for a little bit of optimism uh, in the context of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Yadi Baltiansky, I share this hope with you, of course, and I thank you very much for this fascinating talk. Uh, Gadi Baltiansky, the director of the Geneva uh, Initiative, thank you very much for joining us here in On Israel and Al Monitor. We'll now take a short break and I come back right after it with some final thoughts. Thank, thank you. you. Bye. Hello, I'm uh, Gilles Kepel, professor at uh, Sciences Po and Normal Sup in Paris and author of a number of uh, books and articles on the Middle East. Through my new podcast, Reading the Middle East on the award-winning media service and monitor, we will take a deep dive into the trends in the region with the authors and thought leaders who are shaping how we think about the Middle East. Reading the Middle East will be a fantastic addition to Al Monitor's outstanding podcast lineup, including On the Middle East with Andrew Paraziliti and Amber Inzaman, and On Israel with Ben Kaspit. You can subscribe on your favorite listening platforms. We look forward to your joining our conversation. Thank you for uh, staying with us. A few interesting uh, points from the conversation with uh, Gadi Baltiansky, the Director General of the Geneva Initiative. We were speaking about uh, uh, Defense Minister Benny Gantz that declared uh, uh, six Palestinian organizations as terror groups. 
And uh, Baltianski said that uh, it's, it's obvious and logical that Israel will fight terror in all the, its means, but sometimes you need to be uh, uh, smart, not just right. And maybe uh, the defense minister should have sent his messengers to Washington and the capitals in Europe to show the, the intelligence of the Shin Bet and the, all the material that led him to this uh, decision before the declaration and not after. And, and then he could uh, have saved Israel the criticism that uh, it got in the international community. About the never-ending crisis uh, with the uh, American consulate in East Jerusalem, Baltianski said that uh, he feels uh, there is, there is a, a, an approach that can maybe lead the sides to, to, a, to a solution. On one hand, this is a presidential promise, election promise, and President Biden have to fulfill it. On the other hand, uh, the Americans can open a, a, an office of interest or a consulate in Ramallah with a branch in, uh, in Jerusalem, and the, the Israeli government can swallow it. Uh, actually, th this whole issue is, is, not, is actually nonsense, but uh, the Bennett opponents are uh, using it to portray Bennett as a lefty and uh, as a weak leader. And uh, there is a chance to find a solution that will uh, appease uh, both sides. When I asked Baltianski if uh, we are uh, facing a real storm in the relationship between Israel and the United States, uh, he said that he's optimistic. He doesn't think uh, we are facing a storm, maybe a light rain. He said the American administration does not want any crisis with the Israeli government and vice versa. The Americans have their own agenda. It is China and China. And Israel needs uh, as uh, much quiet as, uh, as possible. And the, the sides will, will have to find a way to coexist. This new coalition in Israel, said Baltianski, is very unique, very strange creature, uh, but is optimistic about the potential of Naftali Bennett and his uh, his colleagues, maybe uh, to go or to or to uh, to find a new path, uh, something creative, in order uh, to to uh, stay or to keep the peace process alive. And he gave examples, of course, of uh, leaders, Israeli leaders that came from the right, maybe the far right, but made peace. Uh, people like. Uh, uh, Menachem Begin, of course, that signed a, an historical peace agreement with Egypt. It's Chak Shamir, an ultra hawk that uh, led Israel to the Madrid conference. And of course, Ariel Sharon that built uh, most of the Israeli settlements and then uh, just uprooted the, the whole Gaza settlements and another four uh, settlements in uh, the Somaria. I hope you found it interesting and I hope to find you here next week in uh, Al Monitor in Own Israel. I'm Ben Kaspit from Tel Aviv. Thank you. Take care.